0: I mean, if you would turn in your copy of the scriptures with me to 1 John chapter 2. We continue working through this letter that John has written. And John's concern has been to give us the marks of a true believer. And setting those out. What does it look like to be a genuine believer? And he's given us three tests. Do you remember what those tests Some of them we've seen already. We've seen a moral test. So the person who responds to the moral commands of God, they want to be holy because God is holy. They willingly and gladly submit to God's teaching in the scripture. They want to walk in the way of holiness because indeed God is holy and he has commanded it in his word. There was also a fellowship test. That test that says, do we love one another as believers? Is that love present? Does it exist? Are we committed to living in a support of encouraging, Christ-exalting, God-centered community with one another in the midst of this dark world in which we live? Are we committed to one another even when we let one another down? Are we committed to one another? Is there a love that exists? Or does our life just revolve around uh, ourselves as individuals, what we get out of the fellowship, what we get out of the community of faith? Or are we really committed one to another in this Christian community? Today, we see this third test. So there was a moral test, there was a test of fellowship. Now this third test is a doctrinal test of what you believe. How do you know you're a true Christian? Well, John wants to make it clear there are certain affirmations that need to be made. Especially pertaining to the Lord Jesus Christ. So for John, one of the key doctrinal issues that sets apart being a Christian and not being a Christian is just this question. What do you think about Jesus Christ? Who do you believe Jesus to be? Who do you accept Jesus to be? Do you embrace what the apostles taught about Jesus? Do you believe what Jesus claimed about himself? Or do you just have a Jesus of your own imagination? Have you just kind of come up with ideas? I think Jesus is like this. We have a strange game at our home that we play sometimes where I will speak to Alexa and call out songs from the early 2000s, 90s. Uh, One of those that my family was not so blessed to hear recently was called Psychedelic Super Jesus uh, by the group Broad. But this is how many people view Jesus sort of this new age, mystical, he becomes what I want him to become, sort of a spiritual guru that, yeah, he'll make me well. He'll do good things for me. But it's not necessarily the Jesus of Scripture. And so that is what John sets out. He gives us these three tests, these diagnostic tools of what is a true Christian. And when he sets these out, for the believer, this helps our assurance, doesn't he? For the Christian, we can hear these tests, and it cultivates discernment. What is true, what is not true. Especially when it comes to false teachers. And so here, in 1 John chapter 2, we're going to see that. Because sooner or later, a false teacher... They will distort the Bible's teaching about Jesus, who Jesus is. Here, re- well, even remember from last week. In verses 18 through 21, there were people who left that congregation. And we said they didn't leave for some trivial reason. It wasn't because of the color of the carpet or they didn't like uh, the preaching that was going on at this church. They'd rather go hear Apollos across town. That's not why they left. They left because of serious matters. They did not believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus So in verses 22 and 23, we're told by John, here is why these people left. This is why people left the congregation. They disagreed with the central, biblical, apostolic teaching about who Jesus is. They deny the Messiah. And it's because they deny the Messiah, they deny that Jesus Christ is the Messiah that he is God incarnate in the flesh, that the Scriptures set Jesus of Nazareth out as the second person of the Trinity, come in the flesh, incarnate, the Son of God, Son of man. Because they deny that, they leave. So with that, let's read together verses 22 and 23. Verse 22 says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So first thing I want you to see this morning from our text is that denying what the Bible teaches about Jesus, that is a certain mark of a false teacher. The test, do they acknowledge Jesus as the incarnate Messiah, the Son of God? So, verse 22, John's argument. You deny what the Bible teaches about Jesus, that's a certain mark that you're a false teacher. He says, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? So he's zeroing in here, right? There's lots of things you could talk about, but he's zeroing in on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? That's the key issue. Now, if you just read that phrase alone, the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, if, if you just look at that verse in isolation and you don't take it in the context of the whole passage, you might think, oh, John's talking about people who deny Jesus that Jesus is really the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. So maybe he's talking about unbelieving Jews who are denying that Jesus is in fact the Messiah, who's been prophesied in Isaiah, or he's been prophesied about in other places in the Old Testament. And certainly there were people like that in the New Testament. There were people like that. Uh, even as the apostles preached, Peter and Paul, uh, they preached in the book of Acts, we see that many Jews believe, they embrace the truth that Jesus was the Messiah, but you see, a lot of them, like in Acts chapter 5, many Jews reject Jesus as the Messiah. So if you just read this verse in isolation, you might think, maybe he's thinking about those people. But the context tells us Something different. It's broader than that. It's more than that. Slightly different. So, if you turn forward, look forward with me to 1 John chapter 4, for example, verses 1 through 3. In those verses, he's going to combine the idea of Jesus as the Messiah and Jesus as the incarnate Son of God. God in the flesh. And he seems to be pointing, that this is a, and this is a theme that runs throughout um, this entire letter. They seem to be denying that Jesus is fully human and the Messiah. They, so the Son of God, Son of the Living God, they would deny the fact that the Son of God had taken upon himself wholly, completely, fully, perfect human nature. All right? So, First John 4, verses 1 through 3 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. So, if you read one John two twenty two in light of what he says in one John four one through three, and not just there, but about five other times in this book, you see John's concern is that there are people and they're teaching that Jesus, that God is not incarnate, incarnate. The second person of the Trinity, they would say, is not come in the flesh. That the Messiah is, in fact, is distinguished from Jesus of Nazareth. So you can picture it, Jesus of Nazareth was a real person, but the Messiah is a spirit entity. In fact, Eusebius' church history names one such person. Serenthius. And he taught that there was a Jesus of Nazareth and there was a Messiah who was a spirit figure. And for a while, the Messiah inhabited Jesus of Nazareth. But just prior to Jesus of Nazareth's cruc- crucifixion, the Messiah left Jesus of Nazareth. So when Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross, the Messiah did not die. The argument is that the Messiah is the spirit figure. He has never taken on flesh. He may have been contained inside of Jesus of Nazareth, but he was always separate, always separate, always eternal and perfect in an unembodied spirit. So this argument is there is a person of Jesus of Nazareth and there is the spirit of the Messiah, but they're not the same. Even if the one dwelt in Jesus for a bit, they're completely separate. And John is saying, no, 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 no. That is wrong. It is wrong because the Bible tells us who Jesus is. The Bible says who the Messiah is. The Bible says that Jesus is the Son of God and has become flesh. He is both fully human and fully divine. That two natures are perfectly united in one person. Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, God in the flesh. That is who our Savior is. That's who Jesus is. That's the Jesus who we proclaim. He lived in a human body. He was human just like us, yet fully divine. He suffered. He bled. He died. He was raised again the third day according to the scriptures. When he's raised, it's that same flesh, but now it's glorified so that John Duncan could say in the 19th century that right now the dust of earth sits on the throne of heaven. The dust of earth. A man. Flesh. Blood sits on the throne of heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. That's the Jesus proclaimed in the Gospels. And John's saying here that there are people in this Christian community and they deny that Jesus is God in the flesh. They've denied that he's the Messiah come in the flesh. They deny. And if you deny that, you're a false prophet. He says, if you deny that, you are the Antichrist. So, wherever you hear a denial or a distortion of the Bible's teaching about Jesus, John says, I give you the Antichrist. He doesn't back down in his language, does he? That's strong language. Now... We should even pause there. So so often we think that's something coming later on. Uh, It's not going on right now. It's something that's going to happen just before the very, very end of time, right before the second coming of Christ. But here's John in the first century saying to this Christian congregation, wherever you see the Bible's teaching about Jesus denied or distorted, I give you the Antichrist. What's, What's John's point? He says, look around you. Look around you right now, where you see Jesus' claims not embraced, not believed, where the apostles' teaching about Jesus is not embraced, when the biblical Christ is not the Christ that you worship, when you see that, that's the spirit of Antichrist right there. And so, for John, any Christian teacher, they may appear to be, part of a local church they may be uh they might even come out of god's people they may seem to be very religious they may claim to be anointed with the spirit of god john says if they do not teach what the bible says about jesus he's a liar he is the antichrist so he's calling for Christians, you and me, Christian, be discerning. When you hear someone, don't just say, oh, they're talking about Jesus, how sweet, how wonderful. I used to do this as a kid. I'd hear uh, professional athletes get on in their interviews after and they'd say thanks to God. Meanwhile, the rest, of, all their uh, um, uh, multiple children out of wedlock testified opposite of what they're mouths would say after the game. But I would hear him say, thank God for this. Hey, all right, he must be a Christian. No, you've been discerning. When the name of Jesus is thrown out there, do not assume that it's Jesus from the Bible. Sometimes it's very blatant, right? So, like, that heretic Bishop Shelby spawned who says, Jesus is not God, he is not God in the flesh, he is not the incarnate God. Or, even at Center College several years ago. The speaker who says, all of you, Jesus died, he's in the grave, he did not rise again, get over it. Or sometimes it's less subtle than that. Sometimes it's things like this. Yeah, yeah, I believe what the Bible says about Jesus, but it's not really clear in the Gospels if Jesus knew he was the Messiah or not. Sometimes it's subtle like that. But all of those things, friends, all of them are wrong. And they equally, they deny what the Bible teaches about Jesus and who Jesus is. So you, Christians, should be very much on guard... For this spirit of antichrist that's, that was in their midst then and it is in our midst now. Do not be gullible just because the name of Jesus is used. Now, John is saying this. What I believe about Jesus matters. Okay? What you believe about Jesus matters. Children, in this room, listen to me. What? you believe and are taught about Jesus matters because the difference is eternity with God or eternity separated from the merciful love of God what we believe about Jesus matters put it another way John's our doctrine that we hold to about Christ that is at the core of what it means to be a Christian all right now, that's not what we find in our day and age. I realize that. In our day and age, doctrine is hustled off into a corner, and it's, it, it's put right alongside of all other type of speculative opinions. But the idea today is that if you really believe those doctrinal beliefs are true, then you're incapable of being tolerant. Because you know what? Tolerance is the only thing that is permitted today. But if you really believe these statements are true, that there is no way to the Father except through the Son, you know what that means if someone has a different view? Now, I don't want to be too shocking. That means someone is wrong. <gasps> but in our day and age, that's the last thing most people would ever want to say. That someone else is actually wrong. The spirit of this age says, no, 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 we can't believe that. We, we can't. And, and certainly we, we can't believe that what a person thinks about Jesus Christ, that that's the difference between eternal life and eternal condemnation. We can't believe something like that. But my friends, that's precisely what John says. That's why what we believe about Jesus matters. It is the difference between heaven and hell. And John puts it boldly, right? And that may be shocking to us today. But why does it matter? If Jesus is not the incarnate Son of God, he is incapable, incapable of bearing your sins. If he is not the incarnate Son of God, he is incapable of bringing you into fellowship In a right relationship with the Heavenly Father. He's incapable of doing that. If you do not believe Jesus is who he said he is, you can't participate in what Jesus says he did. And so for John, there's a link between those two things. Who Jesus is and what Jesus did. His person and his works. So what does it mean when we say Jesus is Lord? What does it mean when we say Jesus is the Messiah? What does it mean when we say he is the son of the living God? What does it mean when we say that he is God in the flesh? What does it mean when we say he was crucified, dead, buried, and raised on our behalf? All those things are essential. Doctrine matters. Christians early on, made very strong statements about who Jesus is. Let me give you a couple examples. First off, the Apostles' Creed. There is a sentence about the Father. You know it? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And then there is a phrase about the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's all it says. Listen to what it says about Jesus. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. One sentence, one phrase, and then all that about Jesus. Or later on, the Nicene Creed. Again, you have one statement about God. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, all things visible and invisible. And later on, you have one statement about the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and Son is to be worshiped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic church, apostolic church. Okay, so that's all. Jesus, the uh, God, and the Spirit. Listen to what it says about Jesus. And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made, and for us, in our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day, he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. Why so much space about Jesus? Why? Because 1 John... 22 and 23. What we believe about Jesus matters. Doctrine about Jesus matters. What we believe about Jesus has eternal consequences. The second London Confession of Faith. What about Baptist? Oh yeah, there is a statement about God the Trinity. But then later, chapter 8, one of the largest chapters in the Confession of Faith says is all on Christ the mediator. I think it's ten marvelous paragraphs. I won't read all those. But it's marvelous. But why? Why spend so much time focused on Christ? Why is it this brief statement about God, a brief statement about the Spirit? Why, then, there's long sections about Jesus because 1 John 2, verses 22 and 23. What we believe about Jesus matters. If you don't get Jesus right, everything else goes wrong. That's what John's saying. What you believe about Jesus matters. The Bible's teaching about Jesus matters. That's a mark of a false teacher, to deny what the Bible teaches us about Christ. And then I want you to notice it's got spiritual devastating consequences, doesn't it? What's the consequences if you fail to get the Bible's teaching about Jesus right? Well, verse 23, John makes it clear, right? Denial of the Bible's teaching about Jesus leads to spiritual disaster. To deny the Son, he says, verse 22, is to deny the Heavenly Father. So you can't have a relationship with the Heavenly Father apart from the Son. John 14, 6, what does Jesus say? No one comes to the Father except by me. So if you deny Jesus, you deny the Father. When Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but by me, he doesn't mean, just mean, that no one comes to the Father but by a person named Jesus. No, he means, no one comes to the Father but by me, the real me. Jesus of history, not the Jesus of your imagination, but the Jesus of scriptures, the Jesus the apostles preached about, the Jesus who is recorded in the Gospels, in the New Testament, the Jesus who is pointed to in the Old Testament. To deny him, verse 22 says, is to deny the Father. And verse 23 goes on, right? And says, to d- deny the Son means you do not have the Father. To deny Jesus of Scriptures is to deny the Heavenly Father. So, even if someone says, oh, I have a relationship with God, I know God, I'm good with God, I know the God of heaven and of earth, but I don't really believe all that about Jesus, that person is a liar. A liar. The person, any person, they do not have a relationship with the one true God unless it is through the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son. John goes on to say, that what's the other side of that truth? If you confess the Son, you have the Father also. So whoever confesses the Son, they have the Father. Now, John does not just mean some kind of bare mental assent. Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Some kind of half-hearted, like, yeah, I can assent to that proposition. Yeah, okay, yeah, I can believe Jesus came in the flesh. Then, boom, you're a Christian. That's not John's point here. And this is why we should be very thankful for the Messiah... It's not like... So this Thursday, some of us will lie when we say, thank you, Lord, for this food on our table. Meanwhile, there's this canned cranberry stuff that I'm really not thankful for at all. Don't be thankful like that. When you're thankful for the Messiah, you be thankful because of who he is. You know... For these early Christians to confess that Jesus is the Christ, it was not some cheap just words. It cost them. It cost them dearly. Children, here's here's a word that you need to remember. It's the word martyrs. And this is what they were. Many who confessed that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. They knew They were going to die. They knew that. Many, many Christians around the world right now, they know that. So Christians in the Sudan, they know if I profess faith in Christ, if I get baptized as a Christian, it's going to cost me my life. Literally thousands of bodies of Sudanese Christians have been laid in the ground because of this confession of faith. So parents, teach your kids the Apostles' Creed. Teach your kids the Nicene Creed for two reasons. One, this is what we believe. But two, this is what we die for. When when you say confess the Son, that's no little thing. It's to say, I will die for this. What are you willing to die for? This is Luther's words of a mighty fortress. The last line, isn't it? Remember that? Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill. But what's the lesson? God's truth abides still. His kingdom is forever. Yeah, I believe, and I might die, but his kingdom is going to endure forever, and I'm a part of that kingdom. Has that truth laid hold of you? Are you ready to die for it? Do you realize that Jesus is your only hope in life and in death? Do you realize that? Do you realize that there is nothing in this world It's worth denying Jesus for? Do you realize that everything else hangs and falls on this truth about who Jesus is? Everything else. Christian, do do you see where John is calling you to discernment? Discernment. To this confession. Who Jesus is. Many Christians give their lives... For this confession. Now we need to be honest too though. Uh, The easiness. In the place. Where we live. Because. I think of Logan. That was baptized the other week. He could get baptized. He didn't have to think twice. About being killed. Right. There are freedoms that we have. And we are thankful for. But we also need to be honest. The easiness of this place makes it a hard place. Because we can fool ourselves that we are confessing Christ when we are not. And we're only treating the same way I give thanks for cranberry sauce. Oh yeah, I believe that. Oh yeah, I'm thankful for that. Are you thankful for the Messiah? When we say that, you do realize... And probably we should say this more. It shouldn't go without our attention. When we say Jesus Christ, it's not Jesus' last name, right? It's his title. It means Jesus the Messiah. Jesus God's King. So do you confess that Jesus is God's King? There is a practice today, in America anyway, that no matter who wins the presidency, the other side always says, well, he's not my president, which really makes no sense at all, right? Because if you're an American citizen, even if you don't like that person, he is your president. But it would be unthinking to say, I'm a Christian, but Jesus isn't my king. I'm a Christian, but he's not my king. There's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't believe truly and biblically about Christ. Is he your king? Have you bowed the knee to Christ? Some of you need to do that. Some of you, you in the easiness of this place, you've, you, you've, uh, you say, yes, I believe, but you've only treated Jesus with this casual indifference. that Yeah, okay, I'll believe in that. But you don't follow him. He's not your king. Bow the knee to him. Confess him as Lord. May God grant that that would be the case. That he would grant us grace to truly trust in Christ alone for our salvation. As he is offered to us in the gospel. Let us confess him rightly. And as we do, we'll be thankful for the Messiah. That's our only hope, for life or in death. Let's pray, shall we? Lord God, we come to you, and uh, we ask that you would guard our hearts against wrong thinking about our Savior. Lord, would you grant that we would truly trust in him and we would truly confess him, not just with our lips, but with our very lives. Lord, may we disdain the easy believism that is so prevalent in this easy place. But let us, as we bow the knee to Christ, Say, we will serve no other, even at the cost of our lives. Let us believe your word is true. Lord, I pray that as believers, this passage will continue to, to fill us with great assurance. Because we do believe your word. We do believe who Christ is, his person, his work. The the author, the finisher of our faith. The hinge upon which our Christianity rests. And Lord, may who he is bring us assurance. That it's not about our greatness, our merit, our worth. It's about His glory, His perfection, His righteousness, His glorious substitutionary work on our behalf. Calls our hearts, even this week, as we enjoy all the trappings of the holiday to most of all be thankful for the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.